All right, guys, growing your wellness business doesn't have to mean working around the clock and feeling exhausted. So welcome to the Healthy Hustle Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Feldman, and I have been in your shoes. I've been in the wellness space for over nine years, and I know what it feels like to feel overwhelmed. I took my wellness business from 13K that first year and feeling fried and exhausted to over six figures. Now I'm a business coach for health and wellness professionals just like you, and I create done-for-you content and programs to help you save time and money so you can spend more time nailing down your niche, understanding your buyer avatar, attracting your ideal client, and building your business from the ground up the right way. So sit down and let's get started. Hey guys, this is Rachel Feldman. I am so completely excited to be here tonight with Terry Wall. She is somebody who I have just completely respected and followed for so many years. Dr. Terry Walls is her name, and she also is, she has written phenomenal books. One is The Walls Protocol, and you can find that, and I really encourage you to actually go and buy it because... It is not only an amazing book, but also one that I believe for people who have autoimmune, similar to myself, but for for people who are just really trying to understand preventing some of these chronic illnesses that we're seeing in today's world, definitely go and get it. So I just want to welcome you, Terry, tonight and say thank you so much for being here. And as I mentioned before we started recording, I found you probably... I want to say eight years ago when my family and I were were going through a lot of our health issues and your work at that time, I feel like it was work that nobody was doing and yet it seemed so simple in the approach, (laughs) macronutrients, micronutrients, and yet it was so profound. And so I want to just thank you for for bringing forward this kind of work and welcome you tonight to, to this interview. Well, I'm uh, very glad to be here, and uh, you clearly were, were saw me in the beginning, so <laughs> I'm glad we, we could be on this journey together. Well, and I have to say that part of you discovering this was not something, I'm sure, enjoyable for you, because if, if, some, if people don't know your story, that you were diagnosed in 2000 with, with MS. So can you actually tell me about the walls protocol and how you actually came to, to find this way of eating and why this was beneficial. So I'm an academic internal medicine uh, physician and was very much a believer of the latest drugs, the newest technology, the newest science. And in 2000, I was diagnosed with relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. I knew that within 10 years of diagnosis, one third of those newly diagnosed with MS will have difficulty walking, needing a cane, walker, or wheelchair, and one half will be unable to work due to severe fatigue. I went and uh, sought out the best clinical research center that was in the Midwest, which was the Cleveland Clinic, saw their best people, took the newest drugs, and still within three years, my disease had progressed, and I had moved into what's called the secondary progressive phase And in that phase of the illness, there's no more spontaneous remissions. There's a steady decline. And that's when it became apparent to me that the uh, conventional medicine was 
seeming to be unlikely to stop my slide into potentially a bedridden and demented life. And so that's when I began reading the basic science myself, reading about mouse and rat studies, and would eventually begin taking those uh, rat studies that have been using vitamins and supplements and experimenting on myself, transferring those mouse doses, converting them to human-sized doses. Now, I should also step back for a moment. In 2002, when I was still walking around, my uh, Cleveland Clinic docs had told me about Lauren Cordain, and I had Mm -hmm. uh, read his work, uh, looked over his papers, and decided after 20 years of being a vegetarian to go back to eating meat, but would continue to decline for the next five years. When I started adding vitamins and supplements, I seemed to slow the speed of my decline, but I was still declining. The summer of 2007, I uh, discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine, and they had a great course on neuroprotection, which I took, which deepened my understanding, and I had a longer list of vitamins and supplements. And it certainly seemed to further slow my decline, but there was no dramatic turnaround by any means. And it was the very end of 2007 that I had the insight that I should take my list of 20 nutrients I was taking in pill form and figure out where they were in the food supply and take them as food, which of course meant more research. And my registered dietitian friends couldn't help me. The university librarians weren't able to help me out. But eventually I was able to find these things through the internet searches. And at the very end of December, I reorganized my diet to maximize the intake of these 20 key nutrients. I still followed paleo principles, but now it's much more focused on what to eat. So instead of just avoiding grain, legumes, and dairy, I was now focused on eating lots and lots of vegetables, uh, eating more organ meat, switching to only grass-fed meats and wild fish. And within three months, my fatigue and cognitive decline was markedly reduced. At six months, I was walking without a cane. I still had a limp, but I was certainly able to walk without a cane now. And at nine months, I got on my bike for the first time. And in about five years, six years, maybe. And at 12 months, I had done a 20-mile bike ride with my family. And by comparison, in the summer of 2006 or rather in the summer of 2007, I I had severe fatigue. I was exhausted by 10 in the morning. I was losing my keys, my phone. I was struggling with brain fog. And I could walk short distances using two walking sticks, 20 yards or so. And and by evening, walking around uh, my home was extremely difficult. And I had known that likely I would have to stop working within the next six months. But of course, as it would turn out, by discovering the Institute for Functional Medicine, and reorganizing my diet, still following the paleo principles, but now stressing these key nutrients, had this dramatic restoration of function. And of course, this would really change how I would understand disease and health. It would change how I practice medicine, and it would change the type and the focus of my research. Well, in so much of your research, and I think what's amazing about when I read it was that you really, you started to look at food as the pure energy source for yourselves. And how are you going to jumpstart the engine again? I know for for my own kind of autoimmune stuff, I know for people, especially with, I love when everyone throws around like this person has chronic fatigue and it's okay, well, what in the engine, why do we not have pretty much what we're going to talk about, like that mitochondria not working. Why Mm -hmm. is the ATP, what's not firing? And what I love about your work is you really sat there and said, how do I take all of these nutrients? 
what about the organ needs? What about these key nutrients within the macro and the micro of these different food groups do I need to bring into my body to support the mitochondria? And I was wondering if you could talk briefly about how important the mitochondria is for the body and how that relates to autoimmune. Mitochondria are the little organelles or subunits within the cell that will take the food that we eat once it's broken down to sugar or amino acids or fat and will take that through what's known as the Krebs cycle and make ATP, which is the unit that the cell uses to drive the chemistry of life. And all of our cells will rely on mitochondria to power the biochemical activity of that cell. When we don't have enough of the nutrients for the mitochondria to work uh, really efficiently, the mitochondria make less and less energy. The cell has less and less energy. And so you don't have the energy to do things like thinking, having a good mood, having the energy just to do any kind of physical activity. Vision can become a problem. Heart function can become a problem. And so chronic headaches often develop. And of course, there's severe chronic fatigue. And when I was reading the basic science, one of the first observations I made was uh, when the mitochondria become strained, brain cells uh, die early, brains shrink. Then we have problems with the chronic fatigue. There's often retina problems like macular degeneration and heart failure. So then I uh, spent several years trying to figure out what I could do for my mitochondria. And of course, I was thinking uh, about vitamins and supplements and drugs. But I would eventually figure out that this is really about uh, how do we feed the cells. Then I was looking for nutrients and vitamins and supplements. And then eventually I'd realize we're not smart enough to really know what all the specific nutrients are. So I should use the list of nutrients to help me organize uh, what foods to be eating. And likely in those foodstuffs would be thousands of compounds that were also very, very helpful to my brain cells and my mitochondria. And of course, that that is what turned out to be correct. By focusing on food, I would see this dramatic improvement in health and vitality. So what what specifically, I mean, if you can share with with people even, what specifically are those foods that are extremely Mm -hmm. essential for the mitochondria? Because I love that you keep bringing this back even to supplements are important. I know it comes down to like our gut absorption, but I love how you said- It's really all about the food. It's all about the food because sometimes we do need to, we do need to supplement, but if you really nail down the food, then the supplements become not necessary in essence. And supplements have their own risk in that, for example, zinc is a very important compound for, it's a cofactor for several hundred different enzymatic steps in the brain. And so you might read, oh my God, this is so important. So I'm going to start taking zinc every day. The receptors that bring zinc into the cell also bring in copper. And we need both zinc and copper. But if we take a lot of zinc every day, we're only taking zinc into the cells. And eventually, we'll run out of copper. And so now all those enzymatic steps that involve copper are compromised. And you begin to have a lot of problems, brains and nerves and other metabolic functions. So if we get our nutrition through food, 
we're much more likely to maintain the appropriate ratios between the various minerals, vitamins, uh, antioxidants, and various cell fats. And we're less likely to get the ratios incorrect or out of balance. So supplements can be fine and sometimes are, are in fact very helpful, but it's important to monitor them and to know when your tank has gotten filled so you don't overfill the tank and cause a deficiency. I love how you explain that. That's, I mean, and I think that's key for all the coaches listening to this. I think that we automatically go to, oh, this person needs this or this person needs that. And so what you're, what you're doing is, is reminding us to go back to the basics, which is everything is really right there within our food source as long as we're taking in the correct key nutrients and macronutrients and micronutrients. Putting someone on a supplement and leaving them on for a long time, the longer you're on that supplement, the more likely you are to create an imbalance. So you have to have some way of monitoring so you don't uh, overshoot and create problems. So what would be the key foods that you would tell somebody to that they need to have coming into their body daily or even weekly? So I'm probably really famous for stressing vegetables, lots and lots of vegetables. Now let me remind your listeners that I'm a tall lady, six foot tall. <laughs> and so for me, nine cups of vegetables is really pretty easy to do. Three cups of deep leafy greens. Three cups would be a dinner plate and the dinner plate should be big enough that your hand can't cover it. And so if you cover the whole plate so you can't see the bottom, that's three cups of food. So a huge salad. If you cook the greens, it's going to shrink so it doesn't have to cover the whole plate anymore. And then three cups of sulfur-rich vegetables in the cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family. And I measured all of my food raw. So when you cook it, it'll be somewhat less, and that's fine. But it's easier to... for my perspective to measure things raw because I'm the chef and that's what I do by measuring. And then, so cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family, these are foods that have been medicinal for many, many cult societies across hundreds of generations. Uh, and they have a lot of sulfur in them, which will help with a number of metabolic processes, including the processing, eliminating of toxins, the manufacture of, of antioxidants within the cell, and uh, the manufacture of gamma aminobutyric acid, which is a important neurotransmitter that keep uh, everything calm and uh, protects against uh, something called excitotoxicity. And then the third category are, are things that are deeply pigmented. So like beets, carrots, and I try to keep these concepts really quite simple. So I would take a piece uh, of vegetable or fruit, slice it, and if you go completely through the food stuff and you see a deep pigment all the way through, then that's uh, in the pigmented category or colored category. If it's like a beautiful red delicious apple, you cut through it, it's red on the outside, white on the inside. That's not what I call a uh, colored fruit or a colored vegetable. And really the apples, pears, bananas are uh, pretty starchy, sugary uh, fruits and vegetables. So you can have them after you've been able to get your nine cups in. Then I, I want to have a high quality protein and I have some directions for those who are vegetarian or vegan. If you're a meat eater, I prefer six to 12 ounces of meat, fish, uh, poultry. And that, that's where the 
basic level one diet. Then I have more advanced levels that will talk about things like organ meats, fermented foods, seaweed. And then I talk about the exciting research that's being done in the area of ketogenic diets and that this is a very active area of research here at the University of Iowa and across many centers around the country. Do you, and it's it's wonderful that you bring up the ketogenic diet because I think that there's there's so many people that are nervous about this word. I've done a lot of reading and, and also even tried it out myself because mm-hmm. I've always had those those sugars that either go really low, the sugars that go high, partly from from just byproduct of I'm sure having autoimmune stuff. And notice that when I stay kind of in that ketogenic state and when I'm eating the appropriate fats and, and ratio that that I really do feel pretty phenomenal. But it would be interesting for me to hear from you and I'm sure share with people who are listening, that whole people are so scared of this higher protein, (laughs) higher fat mentality. And they think that it's just this fad that's going around and that it really, quote unquote, damages the kidneys because there's so much filtration Mm -hmm. of ammonia that needs to happen. And without even getting into a vegan or vegetarian like state of mind with animals, if you could even just talk about this and shedding the light of pure biochemics, mechanics of the body, I mean. Okay. Um, So the mitochondria will burn sugar as their preferred fuel. So if there's sugar around, they'll burn that first. If there's no sugar around, they're capable of burning amino acids or fat. And that gives us a lot of flexibility uh, to to survive in a wide variety of uh, foods, which has certainly been a competitive advantage that has allowed us to survive war, famine, and winter once we left the equatorial regions. And so my ancestors are Northern Europeans. And so probably uh, for thousands of years, my ancestors would have been not burning many carbs at all for probably four months out of the year, uh, maybe as many as five months, and would have gone through periods occasionally having some meat if you had successful uh, hunting. So burning amino acids then, or if you weren't having successful hunting, just burning our fat stores. And if you're starving for a long time, you'll enter ketosis. We've since learned, probably beginning in the early 1900s, physicians identified that if you put somebody on a water diet who had severe seizures, the seizures would stop. And then they realized, of course, you'd have to feed them something. Uh, Otherwise, you're just starving them to death. And so then if they gave them a little bit of protein, a very small amount of carbohydrates and a lot of fat, at that point it was butter and cream and sometimes eggs, that they would still be seizure free. Then we finally got so we could measure ketones and this was called a ketogenic diet. And When anti-seizure medicines uh, became available, the uh, ketogenic diet was not used uh, to control seizures. And then in the 1960s, a lot more interest developed in the ketogenic diet because of Charlie Abrams, who was a little boy who had severe seizures that could not be controlled even with many, many types of drugs and was rapidly put in good control of his seizures using the ketogenic diet. And his family created the Charlie Foundation, which would fund research and education and centers related to using 
diet to help control seizure disorders. And the interest uh, has steadily grown. It's really had a dramatic uptick, uh, say, in the last five years, so that these ketogenic diets, uh, it's called nutritional ketosis, is being studied for several psychiatric disorders, neurologic disorders, uh, and many types of cancers. It's the, the early data is certainly looking promising for many of these conditions. I mean, what I think is what I think is profound, and I what I've seen not only for my own health, for a lot of people who have had insulin resistance, a lot of people who have had autoimmune, or or even just, and I say autoimmune, and I feel like that word is just so readily used these days. But I, and I'm sure you can agree, like these days in my practice, um, I have more 17, 18, 19-year-olds than I even see people my age who are 40. And those 17, 18, 19-year-olds are dealing with hormonal issues that I wouldn't even think you would get until you were in your late 30s. And so I think the more kind of research that we can have on ways of eating that that reset the body, that bring it back to a state of homeostasis. Um, There there is a a lot more interest in uh, treating diabetes with a uh, low-carbohydrate diet. So the person needs less insulin to maintain good blood sugar control. I think that's uh, exciting. That's interesting to see. Well, I know actually one of the people who I see who is one of my acupuncturists, he actually got diabetes a long time ago and has been able to be on the ketogenic diet and has had profound effects with being able to reduce insulin and actually was one of the people who introduced me to it. Um, And like I said, it's just been a a great thing for me to read and, and also to become similar to what you say. You become kind of the guinea pig. Okay, let me try something out. Let me see how it works for me. Let me see how my body reacts. But can you share with everyone kind of from from your point of view, if, if you were speaking to coaches, what you would leave them with as far as in their coaching practice, working with clients? Because you talked so much about the different foods and, and when I would definitely suggest any coach buying your book and going and looking mm-hmm. at your site as well. And I love that you brought back such an important concept, which is you really go back to the foods and talked about our energy source really being in the foods. But can you kind of leave some coaches, leave the well, coaches with with kind of some takeaways? I, I actually, I have this conversation with the medical teams and the nutrition teams at the hospital as well as Uh, We need to find out what the person's goals are. And if they want to uh, control their diabetes using a paleo diet, if they want to control it using a raw vegan diet, a kosher diet, a ketogenic diet, then we work within their belief structures and help them do that in a way that is as as health-promoting as we can. But it's really up to the person to decide what their cultural beliefs are and their preferences. The physician might say, we, we, we need to get your blood sugars under better control, but there will be a, a variety of ways of doing that. If we want to have them get better control of their autoimmune systems issues, and they want to do it with dietary means, there are a couple of ways of doing that. In my book, I give them uh, three ways uh, to approach it. And my advice is for them to work with their family and their physician 
and choose the level that most closely resonates with the family because the people who are successful are doing this as a family. Mm -hmm. The person who who has the greatest struggle is they're doing their diet and the rest of the family is doing a different one. So the more you can make it a cohesive family approach to food and lifestyle choice, the greater the success. And as people make diet and lifestyle choices, certainly what I observe in my clinic is that their need for medications typically decline, sometimes very rapidly, sometimes more gradually. But I want to be sure the primary care doc is involved and will assist the patient as they are able to reduce their dependence on medication and make uh, dosage uh, adjustments. Because likely they'll need fewer pain meds, they'll probably need to be able to reduce a diabetic medication uh, and reduce blood pressure meds. On some people, certainly if they stay with the diet lifestyle changes, we'll find that year after year they're on, instead of people who are just relying on pills, who generally need more and more medication at higher and higher doses, People who rely on diet and lifestyle usually find they need uh, lower doses and fewer medications. I think also the point that you made about this really being an integrative approach, I think more doctors like yourself, more people who are teaching at hospitals, educating and really making this an integrative approach because that's where I think not only are things going to change for the masses, but I agree with you 100% that when you bring a whole family into it or you bring caretakers for whoever you're working with, that's really when change gets to, to happen, lifestyle change and food changes. And especially if you're right. married to somebody who's not eating junk in front of you and really trying to support you, it's, it really can, can be life-changing in so many ways. Well, for... For most of us, we're addicted to sugar and white flour, high glycemic index foods. And so, and with most addictions, we relapse. We have to control our environment, get the compound to which we're addicted out of our environment so that we replace it with things that are are good substitutes. And so for food, that's why, at least what I've seen is families that do this together, and work out what the family approach to food will be, tend to be very successful. Those who expect one person to eat one way, and while all the foods to which they're addicted remain in the environment, will likely see that person relapse many times. That's such a great point. And I think that comes back to coaches, what you said in the beginning, like really listening to what does that person need and how can they really work with that person and the family and and making those long-lasting changes that aren't just going to be, here, go Mm -hmm. on this diet or take that supplement or do this so that that person gets better for not just the next day but really for a lifetime. So I want to thank you so much for being here and for being with us. Can you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find your book? Oh, sure more about in Facebook and, and stuff like that as well? So my website is Terry Walls, that's T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. I'm on Facebook, Terry Walls, M-D. 
I'm at Twitter, Terry Walls, one word. But we have some uh, very exciting stuff that's happening. One is that we have a clinical trial that we've got. We're recruiting people with uh, relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis who have fatigue and are willing to be randomized to either the low saturated fat diet, swank diet, or the modified paleo diet, which is the Walls diet. We expect that both diets will reduce symptoms and people improve. What we don't know is the improvement equally good on both diets, or is one diet better or the, than the other. So it's very exciting. We'll be doing some MRIs and some blood work. We'll give people a lot of support as they adopt whichever diet to which they are randomly, randomly assigned. So that's one uh, bit of exciting stuff. And I'll get you the um, email so people can contact our clinical coordinator to see if they're eligible. Another very cool thing that's happening is NARCOMS, which is a group that does survey research on people with MS, just recently decided to do a survey about diet and lifestyle. Mm. And so this is a a very big uh, step. And the other exciting thing is that they're asking people about a, a variety of diets that they were using to control their MS symptoms. And the Swank diet and the Walls diet are both options uh, of diets. So that's very exciting, very cool. That is phenomenal. I mean, like I said, I found you many, many years ago before. I I don't even think the word paleo was around. It was just, this is what you had done to reverse your MS. And it was a profound story. It was not just your story, but it was your dedication to saying, I'm not going to let this take me down. And I think people need to hear that. And I and I love that you make it so simple. I love when you were even explaining. You said, I try to make this really simple. Nine cups. And so I just Lots wanna, of vegetables. Yeah, lots of vegetables. And don't, don't complicate it. It's complicated enough. And so I just want to thank you for being here and taking your time. And without a doubt, I want every coach to buy your book. It's definitely one that should be in every person's office. So thank you so much. One more thing I could mention, Rachel, is that we've had a lot of people requesting that I uh, create programs for uh, coaches and healthcare practitioners. So we've been working on that uh, and I finally have have gotten some guidance uh, from my legal team. So we will be creating a, a coach training program. So if you have coaches that will be interested, I encourage them to sign up for our newsletter when we have those details available, uh, which I anticipate will have it a, a lot more information about what the program will look like in January. Yeah, w- so. without a doubt. I mean, I know coaches are always look to really get good information. There are tons, as you, tons of certifications out there and schools out there, and people want to advance as well as myself in knowledge and really work with somebody who has been there. And so, yes, let me know. And and even after this interview, you can have somebody email me and I can even email out in my newsletter. So 100%. Sounds good. Well, have a great night. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys, that is all for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, it would mean the world to me if you take just a few seconds and leave me an honest review. Truth is, I love honesty. Your reviews help me to reach even more health coaches 
and wellness professionals who are ready to explode their business and want the truth in this non-BS approach. You can find all the links and the information mentioned in this episode at www.rachelafeldman.com backslash podcast. All right, so don't forget to tag me on Instagram at Rachel A. Feldman and let me know what was your favorite part of the episode. This will help me to create even better content for you, bring on awesome peeps to tell you the truth about how they built their business, plus other speakers to help you take your business to the top without overwhelm. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys soon.